Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. Today, I'm joined by Michael Schaefer, who oversees hot drinks research at Euromonitor. And despite the fact that we're a British company, today we're choosing coffee over tea. Michael, welcome to the show. I feel a little controversial with this decision. Uh, hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me here. Good to be here. Um, so, Michael, we we drink it every day. Some might argue that we need it to survive. I would certainly argue that I need my coffee to survive. But from a business and a, and a research perspective, what is so special about coffee? You know, why why should we be impressed? Well, coffee is uh, one of those rare consumer goods products uh, that is expanding in both volume terms. We continue to drink more of it. I know I do. And also in value terms, we continue to spend more money on it. And there is a process of premiumization going on. People are continue to learn about better coffee, uh, drinking it, making it, seeking it out in, in coffee shops. And all of this is definitely underpinned by the fact that coffee contains caffeine, and that's a big part of it. But more broadly, it's just really unusual and pretty rare to have any product like bottled water or packaged food that is expanding um, in both value terms and in volume terms the way that coffee is and across a whole range of different formats. So when we talk about ready-to-drink coffee in bottles, when we talk about specialist coffee shops, when we talk about coffee pods, all of that is growing. And that's, again, that's pretty unique. Yeah, I would love to say that, you know, I'm, I'm probably a big part of that market. So Starbucks, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, you mentioned a couple different things like pods, coffee shops. Let's talk a little bit more about how people are consuming coffee and where they're consuming it. Sure. Yeah, I think um, maybe we can, uh, we can, we can bring in some ideas about growth and so on and where some of the biggest markets are. When we look at where people are spending the most money on, on coffee, um, on packaged coffee especially, uh, the U.S. leads the way. Um, we're the largest market in the world for in terms of spending um, on coffee, uh, followed closely by Brazil. Um, no great surprise there. Um, to some of us, to our Brazilian colleagues, um, we would um, say that's a market where uh, there's a huge out-of-home coffee culture. There's um, a lot of uh, bakeries and places you can get a cup of coffee and also a lot of coffee consumed at home. And that's something we've definitely seen a lot of beyond the maybe traditional strongholds like Western Europe or North America, we're seeing a lot of growth in coffee growing countries. So Indonesia, Vietnam, Colombia, Brazil, countries that maybe 20, 30 years ago exported a lot of their best coffee. Um, now uh, we're seeing consumers in those markets looking for better quality products, new experiences, and so on. Do you find in those coffee growing markets that they're drinking coffee from their native country, or are they importing it from other places? Well, it's interesting. Um, for many years, the dynamic was um, locally grown coffee would be consumed, but a lot of the best varieties were being exported. Um, is starting to shift as incomes rise, as, as people have more money. Uh, more of that good coffee is staying within the markets. Um, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, Coca-Cola um, actually uh, launched a, a packaged coffee product in Brazil. Huh. 
Um, How did that do? Uh, well, I mean, it did reasonably well. But what was what was interesting about it is that on the packaging in in Portuguese, it said um, imported from Brazil for Brazilians. So there was kind of, it was kind of a play on wor- the the fact that a lot of that coffee gets exported, and so this was saying you know it's imported Brazilian coffee for Brazilians. Huh. I want to talk more about Coca-Cola and and who's jumping into the coffee game mm-hmm. in a little bit. But before we do, how big of an industry are we really talking? You know, how profitable is coffee? Well, I mean, coffee is certainly a profitable industry. Um, there's there's no question about that. Um, I, I think if we wanted to look at uh, how much is being spent on coffee, um, if we just look at retail sales of coffee. So coffee uh, that you buy in package form for use at home. Uh, so at the supermarket for absolutely. me to drink on my own. That's okay. right. Yes. So if we look at that um, and add that up, that's around an $80 billion global market. So, you know, not chump change. <laughs> Certainly not. And I mean, that's that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. So if we look at then at the specialist coffee shops category, which is just Starbucks style modern coffee shops. Uh-huh. So not far from the only place you can get coffee outside the home. Uh, that's around a $60 billion global market on top of that. Wow. And then you have all of the places that people can consume coffee outside the home. Think of your Panera Breads or your Dunkin' Donuts or a French cafe. Um, you can see how that, you know, adds still more to the pictures. So, I mean, conservatively, you know, this is a market that is easily, you know, 150, 200 billion dollars on a global. If we look at all the different forms of coffee that we consume. Well, yeah, I think it's so interesting that you just mentioned, you know, Panera or Dunkin Donuts and places that we traditionally think of as restaurants or food service being in the coffee game. I think conversely, the term coffee shop is maybe a little, it's kind of a relative term, right? Because they're turning into so much more and they are venturing into food service areas and and stores. You know, Mm -hmm. Starbucks has all the merch. They have those mugs from every city. So talk to me a little about what you're seeing in coffee shops. How are they expanding? What else are they doing? Well, I think I think that's a really good point you raise about some of the blurring of the lines because what we're really seeing is... uh, more and more places uh, outside the home looking to be a place where you can get uh, a good cup of coffee, a premium cup of coffee. And so that is where you see uh, more bakery-focused shops, sandwich-focused shops investing in their coffee. Of course, Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons have always really, you know, pushed their coffee and made that a core part of their identity. No one wants a dry donut. <laughs> No, I mean, certainly like the, the donuts and coffee, you know, they, they, they go together extremely well. Um, yeah, don't I know it. <laughs> and, and I mean, for sure, like, I think for coffee shops, like if we look at the Starbucks and the Costa Coffees of the world, uh, they're definitely uh, looking for ways to uh, deepen their connection with consumers, to uh, keep differentiating. And I think that's that's a big part of what we talk about when we talk about uh, the the third wave of coffee shops, uh, the third Whoa, wave of third coffee. Wave. This, this might be a good place to introduce that Yeah, concept. can you tell us about one and two one as and well? One and two, I can, yes. Um, so... Uh, when we talk about the coffee industry, the packaged coffee industry, uh, the first wave we're referring to uh, that era when coffee entered every home. So if you look at the U.S., um, Western Europe, uh, things like coffee in a can or you know Folgers or Maxwell House coffee in a can, uh, Nescafe instant coffee, um, just having 
access to coffee in just about every home. The second wave, um, the latter part of the 20th century, you had the emergence of mass brands like Starbucks uh, that were really um, bringing a certain type of coffee shop experience, a very Italian-influenced coffee shop experience, uh-huh. to a mass audience. Um, and in the case you know, the U.S., North America, an audience that really wasn't familiar with that. As people became more familiar, uh, as interest in coffee grew, as the specialty coffee industry uh, exploded, uh, you started to see more independent coffee shops thinking about, well, how do we take things further? How do we how do we explore new ways of, of consuming coffee, whether it's through pour overs or whether it's through, um, you know, cold brew or, you know, a lot of different brewing methods, um, a lot of experimentation. So you started to see players like Stumptown Coffee Roasters um, and others, uh, Intelligentsia here in Chicago, uh, that really came to be known as the third wave. Um, and now some people even talk about a fourth wave. I was going to say, is there a fourth wave and what, what does that look like? That's, that's really um, the best description I've heard of it is the idea of just good coffee everywhere. So the fact that now we can find cold brew coffee in many different formats uh, in the grocery store. The fact that um, good coffee is almost a given. It's becoming harder and harder to distinguish like your restaurant just by saying, you know, we have cappuccinos or we have decent coffee. That's that's almost understood in a lot of markets. I feel like it's uh, it's pretty similar to, to beer and craft beer that, you know, a lot of restaurants have to serve cool local craft brews and you can't get away with just Bud Light and Bud Light only anymore. I, I think that's a really, I think it's a really good parallel um, for a lot of reasons, uh, in part because a lot of the innovation we're seeing in coffee is coming from coffee shops. It's coming from away from home. And we did see a very similar process, continue to see a very similar process in alcoholic drinks, where um, oftentimes people will try new new spirits, new beers away from home in a bar setting with that experience connected to it. Uh, and we're definitely starting to see that in coffee. I think it's I think it's an open question whether consumers could become as familiar with coffee varietals as, say, some consumers are with wine varietals or wine types or wine regions. Uh, but if we look at things like cold brew coffee, um, all the different ways you can make coffee, the the growth of craft beer, you know, it feels very similar. It feels like a very similar process. And then I know you mentioned, you know, coffee shops in North America having Italian influence. There's a lot of different countries at play. Where are we seeing the most spend on coffee or the most growth in spending? Sure. So, I mean, when we look at um, where a lot of the the spend is taking place, we have a couple of key regions that stand out. I mentioned the U.S. and Brazil, which are important both from a growth perspective and from an overall spending and consumption perspective. Is the coffee shop culture big in Brazil as well, or is that more... Brazil actually has a very has a pretty unique coffee culture of its own. There's a great deal of consumption in the home, um, it, just as there is in the U.S. Um, I think uh, Starbucks-style coffee shops definitely exist, but they're not nearly as big a part of the landscape. Um, you have a lot more traditional bakeries, traditional cafes, uh, much more espresso-driven um, than you see in the U.S. In terms of the other regions where we're seeing a lot of growth, uh, we're seeing a, just a huge amount of expansion in Asia. So Southeast Asia, you have a lot of markets that have a coffee drinking culture. So Vietnam, uh, Thailand, Indonesia, a lot of these are markets where coffee is grown. Uh, it's a little surprising because with the British influence, you would think 
T would still be the the primetime player there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with coffee. A lot of times um, what we see is um, with Dutch and with French um, colonialism, uh, a lot of coffee was brought over. So in the case of Indonesia, where you had that Dutch influence in Vietnam, where you very much had that French influence, uh, that drove some of that coffee drinking culture, uh, and that's evolved, you know, quite a bit on its own. And then uh, the, the the country that is always on everyone's mind about everything, of course, um, is China. And sure. China is very much still a tea drinking market, um, no question. But in terms of growth, uh, in terms of some of the expansion we're seeing, hugely important market. And what's interesting is a lot of that growth is in terms of coffee shops. So away from home, okay. um, there really isn't a home coffee drinking so culture. So more about the experience, exactly. maybe. Um, exactly. Starbucks is very much looking to China as you know one of its key growth areas. Uh, and then we're also seeing a lot of growth in uh, bottled coffee. So cold coffee, huh. ready to drink coffee, um, which is pretty common throughout Asia. Um, it was really invented in Japan and there's a huge cold coffee market. Uh, in Japan. And so China is a little different in that it's really coffee shops and uh, some other forms of coffee that are driving growth there and out of the home above all. Uh, What about non-geographic trends? You know, what's going on in general in Mm -hmm. coffee? I mean, we mentioned cold drinks, you mentioned premiumization a little bit, but let's put it all together. Sure. I mean, I think the the interesting thing um, that we're seeing is the way that uh, it's it's really growing across all axes. There's a there's an appetite for cold coffee. Uh, there's an appetite for coffee pods. Coffee pods continue to expand, so that kind of convenience. Um, we're starting to see some real innovation um, in instant coffee. Um, I think here in the U.S., people can be a bit precious about instant coffee. Um, it's not as popular as it is in other markets, but okay. in, in the U.S., we're starting to see some investment from companies like Sudden Coffee. Um, which does uh, kind of a high-end form of instant coffee. Um, And then in other markets, many other markets in the world, especially in Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, instant coffee is the way a lot of people consume coffee. You know, it's very popular. Um, It's a huge part of the market. It often comes in the form of a mix um, combined with sugar or um, or powdered milk or both. Okay. And so the if whole you, kit. Absolutely, yeah. So if you look at a place like the Philippines, um, Indonesia, Thailand, all huge coffee drinking markets, uh, instant is really what drives home coffee consumption for a lot of people. And so, um, yeah, I the, I think the story in coffee is the way that uh, premiumization is happening all across the board. You know, there really isn't a category of coffee where we would say, um, you know, that's rapidly becoming a commodity. Paradoxically, pods are growing really quickly. Um, but in Western Europe, that's the one market where we actually are seeing some signs of maturity there. Interesting. Do you have any idea why? I think just because pods became so big and so so quick, so fast in Western Europe, that's really where, you know, they first started to expand. Um, Sensio, um was invented uh, by by a Dutch company, um, which is one of the one of the big coffee pod brands, and we've seen it expand so fast. And private label um, is a huge part of the market there for a lot of things, and has caught on in coffee pods. Uh, but everywhere else, you know, we still very much uh, see coffee pods as an area where you know consumers are willing to pay more for convenience, and uh, you know, and even in Europe, that is driven. Uh, coffee pods remain 
quite expensive relative to other forms of coffee because they, they offer that convenience. What about the drinks themselves? I know we talked a little about cold brew, but mm-hmm. what are some drink trends that you're seeing? I think, I mean, if we look at the U.S. is a good example of this, especially out of home. Uh, when we think about coffee shops, there's still that idea of, um, you know, very milk forward beverages like cappuccino or, or macchiatos or so on. And those are definitely still part of the picture. Uh, but we've seen a lot more experimentation with things like pour over coffee, Mm. um, things that are uh, simpler and, uh, maybe a bit more, uh, coffee forward. Yeah. That's the coffee shine, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. And and also, you know, some things that are a little more out there, um, people talking about uh, cascara, which is a beverage made from, you know, the coffee plant is a fruit with a little uh, seed in the middle. And if you take that fruit, uh, you can actually turn that into a low caffeine or no caffeine beverage that's kind of like a tea. Um, you can have huh. that in iced or in hot form. Um, and that's that's something that people are experimenting with as, um, you know, we are getting into a real question of, uh, you know, coffee, caffeine's the big part of what makes coffee coffee. But, um, you know, I think that's that's becoming a bigger part of the conversation is how to provide some alternatives to that. Well, let's talk a little about caffeine. Um, recently, I sat down with Jared Corton to talk about snacks. And so naturally, concerns over sugar and maybe unhealthy snacking came up in the packaged food world. So I'd imagine, well, sugar that you add to coffee mm. or, you know, sugary drinks as well as caffeine might be of concern to consumers. So are you seeing any impact from health concerns in the coffee world? I think I think what's interesting about coffee is that it can be a very indulgent beverage. It can have a lot of sugar added to it. Yeah, but um, that's what makes it taste good. <laughs> it's true. That it's, caramel it's, drizzle. It's, it's a big part of why people people drink it, but it can also be consumed uh, black. It can be consumed any number of different ways. In an IV, ideally. I mean, you know. <laughs> It it offers so much to so many people, but above all, you know, caffeine. And and so I think what's important there is uh, that that variety. So definitely looking at like the soft drinks and hot drink space, we've seen a lot of growth in bottled water. We've seen a lot of consumers looking for alternatives to sh- uh, beverages with a lot of sugar, looking to pick where and when they consume sugar and how much. And I, I think that that's that's only a positive for coffee, just because we've seen a lot of experimentation with you know different kinds of coffee beverages that might have less sugar. Huh. Uh, cold brew is much more of a coffee forward, lower sugar product. Um, and so I think there's there's a lot of potential there. That an interesting stat um, that I I've mentioned before. Um, if we look at you know it, all of the regions that we study at Euromonitor around the world. Um, we look at the beverages that are growing um, in every region. Most of the growth in overall consumption is coming from coffee, tea, and bottled water. You know, interesting. And I think to me that simply means that you know consumers are looking for more options. They are still looking for energy and caffeine, but to, to be able to do it in a way that doesn't uh, necessarily offer you know sugar. Interesting. So it sounds like maybe sugar and caffeine are on the radar, but not the biggest barrier to growth for for different companies what could be you know what do those getting in the game need to watch out for i think certainly uh sugar is and will continue to be on the radar for any any kind of soft drinks or hot drinks company uh i don't think we've seen anything like a full-scale caffeine backlash and we may never 
Um, but it's interesting that a lot of the chatter um, when we talk about health and wellness, when we talk about the next big thing in uh, healthy living, uh, people are talking a lot about sleep um, and a lot about sleep health and, and how to manage that and how to get better sleep. You know, coffee and caffeine consumption, I think, is going to be part of that discussion. Um, does it mean that people are going to start taxing caffeine and we're going to start moving away from it? No, but I don't think it's a coincidence that if we look at the fastest growing categories, the fastest growing types of, uh, say, energy drinks, which are all about sugar and caffeine yeah. and energy, um, we're actually seeing low caffeine or no caffeine energy drinks that you know are looking to do this by other means. And so I think that's that's something over the next five years uh, that uh, I think any coffee player will be keeping an eye on is how to manage caffeine. Um, how to think about lower no caffeine alternatives like a cascara or something and uh, and how to think about that. So who are some of these players? I know you mentioned Coca-Cola earlier. I know Nestle's getting in the game. Talk to me a little about who's jumping on board. And I think some of them are maybe companies we wouldn't associate with coffee necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think for any drinks player, uh, coffee is on the radar. Um, I mean, Nestle, uh, of, of course, has always been around with, with Nescafe, um, you know, several, and, and now Nespresso, uh, one of the you know, most important brands in, in retail coffee. Uh, out of the home, Starbucks is, is a huge part of the picture. Um, but what's really interesting the last couple of years is the process of consolidation that we've seen and the number of uh, players who previously had limited involvement in the category looking to play a larger role. So um, Coca-Cola is a great example of that. Um, they recently purchased uh, Costa Coffee, which is a British uh, coffee shop chain, but with a global global presence with over a thousand uh, coffee shops around the world. And, and what's interesting, you know, Coca-Cola said that, you know, their, their main reason for doing this was to get scale in the coffee business, to have roasting resources, mm -hmm. to have distribution resources. But it also means that, you know, the world's largest soft drink company now owns, you know, a food service chain. They own a coffee shop chain. And that's a big that's a big switch, a big shift. And I think a lot of that, you know, for those who aren't familiar, has been driven by the rise of the Joseph A. Bankheiser Group. So that's a that's a, a very large holding company and investment company uh, that over the last five or six years has really been systematically buying up um, premium coffee brands oh. all across the spectrum. So any that we would recognize? Definitely. So um, just in the last few years, they have purchased Panera Bread, Krispy Kreme. Um, they have purchased uh, Keurig, um, the the coffee pod brand. Yeah, just a couple of brands we might. Yeah, have heard of. yeah. <laughs> and they continue. They continue to add to that portfolio. And there's a clear strategy of you know anywhere people are paying a premium for coffee, um, they want to own it. And and not necessarily from the standpoint of combining everything. It's less about synergy. It's more about just a portfolio of strong brands that are going to going to continue growing. And and that's that's really the story um, in coffee of more and more players seeing that these are really valuable brands. It plays a really important role in consumers' lives, and um, yeah, I think everyone is looking to, to to grab a piece of that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that when you said people's lives. I just think of all of those holiday Folger commercials. You know, you're describing it as something commoditized. You know, something part of a portfolio, and it sounds very business like, mm -hmm. but when you see 
advertisements for it. It's about community coming together, like people at a donut shop all together or families, you know, sharing in this experience. So that's kind of an interesting dichotomy we have going on there. Well, I mean, if you look at how coffee is actually consumed, I mean, there are so many different ways it's consumed all across the world and so many countries that have, you know, some really quite ancient coffee cultures. So, you know, I mentioned Southeast Asia, but of course, we also have to talk about uh, the Middle East, you know, coffee, um, uh, you know, it, it began really in in places like Yemen, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. Ethiopia, home to probably the, the oldest coffee culture in the world. It's it's a really important beverage. It's a really, um, you know, fundamental beverage. It's it's the rare premium product that people consume every single day. Um, and that's, you know, I think an important way to think about it and why it why it's interesting. It certainly is. Um, Well, speaking of interesting or unique, before we wrap, I like to ask everyone, what is the weirdest thing you've ever researched? Or maybe it's limited to the hot drink space, but what's some of like the weirdest trends you've come across? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for more than 10 years. And so, um, and have looked at at a number of different industries. I I think as it pertains to coffee, um, one interesting part of the job, um, and, and I think indicative of how important coffee is to people, um, whenever we talk about uh, the, the markets where coffee is most widely consumed, so the highest per capita figures for coffee consumption, that usually, um, depending on the year, depending on our research, um, that's almost always going to be one of, one of the, uh, the Nordic countries or the Scandinavian countries, so Finland, Sweden. Norway. Uh, Dutch people also consume a great deal of coffee just by volume. Uh, and and that can be um, quite controversial when the rankings come out. You know, we, I can imagine. I've, I've definitely had some, you know, not heated, but serious, intense conversations. Polite uh, but firm. Polite but firm conversations, talking about our research, talking about our sources um, with with heads of coffee associations, you know, who, who may feel that, you know, my market's actually, you know, we're number one. Um, it's, it's a source of, uh, significant national pride. I was going to say, is it like the Olympics where people want to be in the league? I think it's a little, I, I think it's a little like that. Um, it, you know, it's like anything, um, we, you know, one of the things we get to do at Euromonitor is, uh, you know, crown the, the number one consumer of almost any product, you it's know, you me. can buy in a store. <laughs> it's a fun part of the job and, but, you know, always good to remember that it's, uh, it's, it's important and, and people take it seriously. It sounds like it keeps things lively, if nothing else. Absolutely. Always better to uh, to have uh, people engaged with the data and looking to poke holes in it, have discussions about it, and so on. That's what we do. Awesome. Well, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll definitely be thinking about everything we discussed when I go on my afternoon coffee run. I don't think I'm ever going to consume it the same way without thinking twice. Oh, then my job is done. And thank you for tuning into this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between. 